0: Uh, Before we get rolling, uh, I I wanted to say, first of all, it's been very difficult being out of the pulpit for the last couple of months. I want to thank, obviously, Pastor Seifert and obviously our beloved Pastor Paul. Uh, They didn't fill in. They are part of this church. There's nobody filling in for anybody. We're all kind of trying to fill in for the great shepherd, who's Jesus. So that's all we're really about. But in the meantime, so we appreciate. We've had so much support over the uh, last few months. Uh, but I need to settle a little bit of something because I, it's gotten back to me, and w- through some counsel and through some insight from some people a lot wiser than, I, than myself, we felt like as a, as a staff, as executive teams, the elders, that we should pretty much set it, set it straight. Obviously, if you're pulled from the pulpit in these days, things start to happen, and it's like, well, why is that happening? And then people begin to ask why that's happening, and... And uh, the fact is, as we've tried to kind of state in some ways and a little bit shrouded, and the reason there's a a certain amount of uh, privacy, secrecy to it, it's not because we're not being transparent, it's just because, number one, it's not my story to tell. So we've encountered a pretty strong, uh, violent assault that happened to our family uh, over the last few months, and it's it's been difficult. So, sorry, I'm not having an affair, and that's, no, it's true. It's been getting around the valley. I don't know how, I don't know how, you know, widespread that is. It's not true. told myself I wouldn't do this. All right, so uh, that's not true. And so I, I, th- I hope this morning we can at least put that to rest. Um, sometimes sin happens outside. Sometimes sin our sin causes pain, right? We know that. I mean, I'm a recipient of for years prior to Jesus and even after Jesus. I make ridiculous mistakes and things happen, and that sin has result has an effect on me and that sin has an effect on people around me. And that's that's just true of how sin is, but sometimes other people's sin affects you. And in this case, this is outside in job, not an inside out job. So you need to know that. So I'd like to kind of can we settle that and move on in case anybody because I know when there's a, a little bit of privacy issues and I would request that privacy for my family. Don't ask my wife and my kids about What's hap- I'm just asking you not to do it, not to do it, so um, so we can move on and get through some of this stuff. Of some of this is it's been really challenging, but all the rumors and things that fly and things around the valley and Cranford's not in the pulpit, therefore you know um, must be you know. And this valley's kind of shocked from that at various points uh, over the last number of years, and some of you have been a recipient of that. So I'm just saying, let's settle it now. I'm t- I'm looking you straight in the eye. And I will tell you, if that were the case, had that ever been the case, there's no way in the world that our trustees, our elders, and anyone would allow me. I would have a long season of restoration. So you need to know that there's plenty of oversight, and that's not the issue. Are we okay with that? That is not the issue. Okay, let's move on. So in light of that, we live in a remarkably fallen world. We know that. And I wanted to start a little series on this idea of how we move into spiritual maturation through mission. Why mission? And I'm going to talk about that. But we know that we live in a radically fallen world. In fact, this latest uh, episode, I think I told, I, the last time I was here, it was like 251 mass shootings and now we've had multiple mass shootings it's it's an absurd thing I think it's perpetuated a lot by the media and and people like it's like if I'm going to commit suicide I might as well go ahead and take some people out with me and this is at its very core and this isn't a political statement of pro or anti-gun or anything like that I, I really don't care much about that it's a spiritual issue this issue it's a it's a problem of not knowing who I am and why I'm here and so what happened this last week or just was it yesterday or the day before in Odessa Midland Odessa I know that well I, I spent a couple of years there um, when I was before I went off to Rice and I know that road well that Highway 12 between Midland and Odessa where that chase ensued and and the guy turns around and nobody knows why and he's dead and it was a shootout at this uh, theater. And uh, I know that I know that's old stomping ground for me. It, it hit home, and then the El Paso. I spent a lot of time in El Paso, you know, growing up and being in those places. And sometimes it hits you. And, call, and I'll be going to. Denver this week uh, to be with some of our folks, and and the Denver thing kind of started going into the theater. I mean, this is just, it's gotten to a point of absurdity. What does the world need? Well, the reason that I do what I do, number one, God called me to, but number two, I don't have anything else better, better to peddle than the gospel. I've got nothing else better to offer you. If I could give you money or education or a loving family or anything, those still are far short, fall far short of what I can give you in the person of Jesus. And this is why we are a missional church. We will always be a missional church. We've said it from the very beginning. There's part of us. I know we don't have maybe, you know, our worship as it is now. It will not want to always be this way. Many of you love the video worship. Some of you don't love it, but we're still a family and we come together. But our primary purpose for this church was never to plan it, to provide religious services for religious people people primarily our primary goal is worship yes worship but our primary goal is mission too it's not a sidebar thing of what we do it's the very core and the dna of this church how are we going to get you and your neighbors you know your neighbors better than i do you know your next door neighbor if you know your next door neighbor you know them better than i do you know the people at your club or the people at your work or the people wherever i mean we live in a kind of country club world out here, a fantasy land of Palm Springs area, and it's filled with tennis and country clubs and things and social circles and retired people. You know those people better than I do. Are we going to go to them with a message that we feel empowered by? And I'm going to take an additional step, I think, and this is going to be my supposition over the next few weeks. I'll preach this week. I'll be back in the pulpit in October. Many of you know we've tried to be very clear about that. I'm going to be going to Seattle and, and... Salem and Denver and various places, I have board meetings with the seminary of Israel College of the Bible and things. This was already planned well in advance so this is not our continued need for me to be out of the pulpit, it's just the way it happened on the calendar. And as we go out we're going we're gonna to be thinking mission, we think even when we go we think about mission and you people on live stream welcome this morning. You think about mission, I want you to be thinking about mission at your club at your place, at your place of business where you work, wherever it is, in Denver, in these various places that we go. And they are. So what does this mean? I will I'm I am putting this before you. I believe there is a certain point in your spiritual walk in which mission is your only next step to take the next step in spiritual maturity. Let me say that again. There is a place in which we all know we grow. Paul uses this language in the Scriptures. He talks about babes in Christ. By now, you you should be teaching people, but you still need meat. I mean, you still need milk. You're not ready for solid food. He does give us a picture that there are stages. We'll look at that in the whole exodus of, of, of the children of Israel coming out of Israel. It's like a template. We talk about it all the time. It's, it's this place. It's this progression that you become more like Christ. I'm giving you this idea, I want to seed it in your mind, and we'll get into it more deeply in October, that there is a certain place where you've sat in enough church services, you've done enough, gone to enough Bible studies, you're just ready, and if you don't go in and cross the Jordan, so to speak, and begin to take the land that God's kind of given to you, you kind of stagnate, you'll stay at that level. It doesn't mean you're not saved, it just means that you won't take that next step, and I'm going to try to support that through Scripture. And so I know that this may seem a little dry. Mission, we've had, you know, I've had th- th- thousands of sermons I've heard on mission and that I need to evangelize. Well, I'm also going to give you a slightly different take because not everybody's an evangelist. Some of you are, don't have the gift of gab. Some of you just get in a situation and you're not sure how to, you know, express yourself. You can always give your testimony. You, it may be it's something as simple as, you know, I was blind and now I kind of see. You know, before I didn't really understand this and now Jesus is doing something to me and that's all you've got. That's okay. Not everybody's called to be an evangelist. Not everybody's called to be a missionary. It's not gonna be one of those kinds of series where you're gonna walk out feeling poorly about yourself because you're not Billy Graham or you're not up in front of a big, large group of people or you haven't led anybody to Christ on your latest Delta flight or something. You're gonna, no, it's not gonna be that kind of, of teaching it's going to encourage you but it's going to become a we and not simply a me it has to be a we we're all called to at least promote the gospel and we'll talk about that in a minute so here's what I want you to do I want you to go into your Bibles and as you're turning to Psalm 96 Psalm 96 if you don't have a Bible we can make we can make that happen There's a certain sense in which many of you, before we get to this, will say, you know, this whole thing about missions and things, I've heard this, this repetition. Can I just tell you, there is a certain, as I've grown older in Christ, and some of you have been around me for 20 years. I, I'm sorry, you've had to endure that, but some of you, 20 years, I saw Monica Solis out in the, in the lobby and we've been doing with her husband, Greg, and family and Laura and I, we've been doing ministry with them. That's how kind of this church in some ways was kind of launched. In a living room, we called it the living room. Some of the origins of some of the people anyway, not the church, but some of the... It was just going to be a Bible study, and all of a sudden, we had 100 people showing up at their house. We did it for three and a half years, and it's, a, it's an amazing thing, and as I've grown from that 20 years, uh, some of you have had to hear my kind of stuff over and over again. You know, well, I've heard him say that, and I've heard him use that expression before, and I you know, I kind of know where he's going here, but you know there's a beauty in repetition, There's a cadence in repetition. I find that I do it in other areas of my life. If I'm trying to stay healthy, I kind of read the same stuff. I don't ever learn anything new. I mean, you know, except for healthy fats and I can't eat, you know, gummy worms all the time and and then not gain weight because sugar and, you know, some things kind of change. But essentially I read the same articles and I read them and somehow I take a particular joy in reading them all the time because it reinforces what I already know to be true and encourages me to keep walking even though I already kind of know that information. If any of you are golfers and you like golf magazines, like Golf Magazine or Golf Digest or something, can I just tell you, it's basically about five things repeated, recycled, and refabricated every week or every month to sell magazines, but it's basically get a good grip, get a good foundation, here's your backswing, here's your through swing. we got to do that every single month for year after year after year, but there's a certain beauty in picking up and seeing the repetition and reinforcing what you already know to be true. I hope in some ways that you don't see repetition as something that's bad. As I've grown older, I find it better. And one of the other reasons I find repetition good is because I get older, I forget things, and I need to have it repeated to me. And uh, that's why one of the things I love that the Lord has given me that I'm not in youth ministry Typically, I've been around slightly older people in my ministry in my ministerial life and I can sometimes preach the same thing twice in a month and everybody's like, that was so good, I've never heard it put quite like that. So uh, thank you for bearing with me on that. (laughs) Psalm 96, Psalm 96. There's something beautiful about this and this is going to give you some deep insight. Deep insight. Some of you will have sung this first part of this. You'll recognize it as maybe something that you've had in a particular hymn that you've sung or a song that you love. Let's start. Verse 1, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sounds good so far, doesn't it? Did you realize that you've already blown the minds of the nation of Israel? This has been written about 1,000 years before the time of Jesus. All the earth? I thought this was our God that helps us conquer the other gods. We have our God of our forefathers, and granted, he's one. The Shema tells us that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Not like all this other stupid stuff out there, the moon god and the tree god and the gods of the rocks and pantheistic stuff and polytheism that just saturated the culture at the time. That was a huge statement, really changed the course of history when God began to speak both to Abraham, the first Jew, and then later to Moses in the establishment of the law. But this whole thing, sing to the Lord, the Lord, all the earth. Now, so this was taking, usually cultures would have their gods and When they went into battle, we hope our God prevails over your God. And now they're saying, all the earth sing to our Lord. That in itself is missional if you think about it. And yet many Jews who I've encountered today and know and love and have relationship with, they still miss the fact that they were called to be a light to all the earth, to all the nations, the goyim, the the non-Jews. It wasn't just their God. This was to be taken to the world. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, not their name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation. How often? From day to day. Are you into that mode? I mean, do you think about that when you go to Trader Joe's? Do you think about that at Costco? Do you think about that when you wherever you find yourself at the nail salon or getting a massage or I'm sorry about this kind of language, but this is kind of where we live. You know, do you think about those things when you're on a flight? Do you think about the person sitting next to you that the Lord might want to open the door to declare his salvation from flight to flight, as is my case this month? I think about that. Why? Because I'm some big, pious, wonderful, better Christian than other people? No, because it's the greatest joy in my life. Have you ever led anybody to Jesus or been part of a community or part of a group that have led someone to Jesus and then watched their life transformed over a long period of time? It doesn't take. This last week, uh, we we got away as a family. My girls told me it was the first time we'd ever taken a vacation apart from me speaking somewhere or playing in a golf tournament. (laughs) I was informed of that. And I thought back and I said, well, that's not true. And I started and I think, that's true. So we did that, and some, uh, some of our precious CRD folks hosted us up at their home. And I had the opportunity, and I've had him here once, to grab one of my buddies and say, "Would you be willing to drive up and hang out?" And he lives in Helena, and I don't know what that drive is—two and a half, three hours. And he drove up to hang out. and We played golf, and he came, spent the night. We were staying there at their home, but he spent the night, got up, had coffee, talked. The girls got to see him. Some of them, some of the girls remembered him. Some of them didn't. He caddied for me in the PGA Championship at Medina the year Tiger won, and he still told—he still tells people this day, "I could have taken Tiger." That I had more birdies the first two days than Tiger did. He just always fails to re- recount that I had more double bogeys than Tiger did. <laughs> or the rest of the field for that matter. So, the, the, you know, and so we came back at this great time. Here's his story. He, he just got caught up in a, in a little group, a niche at Bermuda Dunes that was all about promoting the gospel. Not everybody proclaimed it, but everybody was promoting it in some way or another. Some guys got there early and set up chairs. Some guys, you know, paid to help me. Now I'm watching fewer backswings and they're trying to start kind of helping me be able to do what I do more. And those are promoters. And what happened is he just ends up coming to Christ. And I ended up taking an older gentleman, a, a Jewish gentleman, and he'd been sitting in there. And I said, I'm going to take this guy for breakfast and, and just to ask him if he wants to embrace Jesus. He's been sitting in here for a year or two years. And so we went to breakfast and we sat down. And I, and I said, Hey, Bob, why don't you go? along. I was going to try to kind of disciple him and show him, well, this is how maybe someone comes into the kingdom and sees themselves as a follower of Jesus. And so I, you know, finally I was talking to this gentleman and I said, you know, and he was, you know, in his eighties. And I said, do you want to follow Jesus? I mean, do you believe that he died on the cross, that he was raised from the dead? Do you want to do this? Do you want to get involved in this family? And he said, I do. And I said, well, let's pray. And before I could, Bob goes, can I do that too? And I was like, A two-for-one special? That's like the greatest thing that could possibly ever happen, right? So Bob ends up giving his life to Christ, got baptized. I discipled him five or six years, and then he was off. Why? Fellowship of Christian Athletes. There was nothing really going on in Montana. He started it, didn't have any money, didn't have any support, didn't have anything. They felt called. They went up there. Blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. A few years later, he's the state director. They've got five or six guys working for him. And we were sitting there talking about all these schools they're in and the colleges they're in and the high schools they're in and these amazing stories. What kind of payback can you get for one more vacation or one more car or one more something that even comes close to the feeling? that you have in that. This is not an ought to. This is a you get to. Tell the whole earth about me and my glory. Do you get that? This is, okay, this is the missions part of it, and okay, I know I should evangelize more. No, no, you you miss the whole feel. the The whole unction of the writer here is to say, oh, my gosh, we have this amazing opportunity to share the gospel around the world. Now, I can't imagine what they would think when they had enemies pressing in on various sides. This was written in a pretty good place uh, in terms of their history with King David, but I will just tell you, I can't imagine that they would have ever conceived that it would happen the way it was going to happen, although the prophets were talking about it. Tell of his glory, verse 4, Three among the nations, his wonderful deeds among the peoples. For great is the Lord, and he is greatly to be praised. Is he in your life? Is that something that you so highly value that you just can't stop talking about it? Or is it a sidebar thing for you? If it's not, I'm just not, I'm not cast, I'm not chastising you here this morning. I'm saying there's something for you in this. There is something so beautiful you have been missing out on that will make your life so much more full. And by the way, when you do that, your family grows. Your intimate circle grows. When you put your life to this, your circle grows. You'll never be lonely again. I, if, if you are a gospel promoter slash proclaimer, your social circle will expand. You will never be lonely. I'm just telling you, I might say you never be lonely. We all have lonely seasons and moments, even with friends. Don't get me wrong, but I'm saying if you're kind of someone who struggles in that department, this is a big aid. Now, this is huge. He is to be feared above all Gods. Now, you said, well, what is he saying? Are there other gods? Now, this word in the Hebrew is Elohim. And what Elohim means is it's used for and sometimes angels, sometimes it's used for rulers, sometimes it's used for divine entities, yes. And Elohim is very often used for the Lord God, but it's also used for others. Clearly, he's not saying there are other gods. In fact, we'll make that clear in a minute, but these other elohim these other rulers these supposed these imposters he said for all the gods of the peoples or the people are idols now what does this word mean it's in the hebrew it's elil idols and what does elil mean it just means these are non-entities they're worthless they're nothing they're not anything. They're not gods that are subject to our God, like there's a competing hierarchy, and we're just saying we've got the best God or the strongest God or the smartest God or the God that really began creation because God, by its very definition, the way I see it, is something that was outside of time and space before creation. They're not created beings. If they're created, those are angels, and sometimes angels are referred to Elohim elohim in a Hebrew. But Elil idols are just—it's just nothingness. It doesn't mean anything. I have a little statue of a god at home. Somebody might say, and I—it means a lot to me. And I put him up on my mantle and I pray to him. And I'm saying that—I'm just telling you that—that's nothing. That's a piece of wood or a, you know, some gold slapped together. And Isaiah gets into that very deeply and after uh, this transition in isaiah 40 and he begins to talk about that if you're god just tell us what's going to happen tomorrow or tell us what yesterday meant i mean and it's kind of the sarcastic the gods are nothing now verse 5 for all the gods of the peoples are idols but the lord made the heavens they're nothing he created everything this is what we're to proclaim The Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, notice, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him. Who? All The earth, everybody, implicit within this is that they had a task to ascribe greatness to God. Now, I am a big fan of a guy named John Dixon, big fan, has written a number of books. I think he's an easy guy to read. He's Australian. And so if he ever comes here and speaks at the church, I've never met him, but I will take him to the Outback Steakhouse. So uh, we'll 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 have a feast, and he'll feel right at home, I'm sure, because it's got to be just like Australia, on the Barbie. We'll throw a few shrimp on the Barbie, all right? Now, John Dixon, I really appreciate. Listen to what he says, and he has a classic book on missions. He says, we promote God's glory to the ends of the earth. Now, catch this. At first, it's going to sound kind of heretical, but wait a minute. Not principally because of any human need but fundamentally because of God's, or Christ's, unique worthiness as the Lord of heaven and earth. Promoting the gospel to the world is more than a rescue mission, although it is certainly that. It is a reality mission. It is our plea to all to acknowledge that they belong to the one Lord, and why is that important? Why is that recognition important? Because if there's one God, not my God, my truth, your God, your truth, another culture's God, another truth, and I know this feels narrow, but it always inevitably leads. One of the questions I answer, top five for sure, is about, what all, about all the other religions and isn't it all the same God and, and all this idea of pluralism? There are churches and universalist churches and pluralistic churches that say, however, you can try to get to God, you know, get to God. The problem with that is they're so violently in contradiction to one another. I mean, you just can't. It's just incompatible. I mean, if you just take logic 101, you you come to a problem there because pantheism, God is the plants and the trees and the rocks, and He's in everything, and He's, or Buddhism, He's just this kind of one knowable God, and we have a very intimate knowable God, and and so well, it's just everybody's attempt, and I know that sounds good in the world in which we live because it sounds so inclusive. The problem is, it's really nothing. It's just nothing. And I can argue on very uh, on many fronts on why it's just logically inconsistent. It just doesn't make any sense. But we live in a world that kind of embraces that, not because they've thought it through so wonderfully. It's just, it just sounds better, and it really... There's no sense of accountability, is there? If it's just kind of an unknowable oneness, and, okay, so we messed up and we have to become a cricket for the next life then, uh, you know, it is what it is, and I'll take my chances because I really want to do this. And all of a sudden, this sense of accountability. If there's one God, and it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then the story went all to all the nations, and it has since Jesus, then you wonder why people hate this message that we are preaching. The paradox is that they're saved by it. They hate it. Chances are many of you, maybe you're in here this morning or watching on live stream or YouTube years down the road and you may hate this message. You may hate me because I'm proclaiming this message. But it's salvation to those who believe. There's many of us in here and all across the world, we could line up billions of people behind us and say, I was blind. I was blind, but somehow now I see. And my life is is changed. And it's not just adopting A different idea, although it's certainly that, it's really a substantive, spiritual, something very, very deep and profound that's happened in my life. That's what we're called to proclaim. It goes on to say, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. So when you look at what John says about this, I think that's right. Say among the nations, we have something that will help your business or we have something that will help your health or we have something that will help your marriage. All those things may or may not be true. I mean, we certainly have an antidote to a lot of that for sure. I mean, there's some biblical universal kind of principles that exist and community and all kinds of things that will help cortisol levels go down, and all kinds of other positive things. I'm not suggesting that they don't. In fact, the proclamation of the kingdom came with healing and beautiful things. So it's not that, but the primary purpose is not to just make your life better, is that there's one God and that He reigns, and He has all majesty and all authority in the earth, even here in the Coachella Valley, and He is worthy of your praise, and there's no other. Now, when you say that, Yeah, that's going to get some, you know, flack, but it's also going to see people come to Christ and be radically transformed. See, the gospel mission is not principally just a rescue mission, although it is, to quote John, it is a reality mission. You are a created being. Quit acting like the creator. When I finally came to the conclusion that there was a God and that I wasn't him, my life changed. It was a reality mission, and I'm thankful for the men and women who promoted it and proclaimed it so that I could eat that and be transformed. Are we going to be that kind of church? Are we going to be that kind of church? We have to be. We have to be. I'm not interested in any other kind of church. We have to be missional. Our nature has to be missional and filled with grace, filled with grace. So, indeed, the world is firmly established and it won't be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Meshar, quit worrying about the pygmies in Africa. What happens and they don't know and all that. Look, I'm, trust me, the pygmies are going to be fine before God because that word in the Hebrew means evenness and fairness. God is the judge because he knows everything and he's the only God. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice let the sea roar and all it contains let the field exult and all that is in it and then let all the trees of the forest sing for joy I was thinking and reading through this psalm when I was in Montana and precious family that allowed us to stay at their home and we were kind of up on the side of a mountain and was looking out and it was all forested and Rockies and trees and Glacier National Park just an hour away and you know we went to that as well and you look around and you just see all these the forest And I can't imagine what it would be like to go there and go, ha, ha, what a cosmic accident. What a beautiful chance. What a lucky, fortunate person I am. As opposed to, God, you are great. I ascribe to you greatness. Have you been to Glacier National Park? Raise your hand if you have. We're going to take a field trip on Monday. No, I I would love to take all of you there. I mean, I was like, there is no better place on the planet, other than maybe Jerusalem, and I've preached a few sermons there, as you know. But I, there, I can't imagine going to the top of that mountain and preaching through Psalm 96, and you'd be looking around and just going, are you kidding me? And I was also at Yellowstone National Park. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And go in there and say, I saw that, and then tell people and say, that was created by him, not I just have, you know, I I think I got something that can help your marriage. Look, it's not, it's more than that. It's because he's God. That's part of our mission. Before the Lord and for he is coming and he is coming to judge the earth and he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Now, there's the accountability end in it. It's great if you know him. It's terrifying if you don't. It's great if you know him. This message is terrifying if you don't. And if you don't choose him, you will do anything you can. That's why people have burned this book, banned this book, this book, this Bible for years. But the message was always the same. So here's what I want to do in these last few minutes that we have (coughs) today is that uh, I would like to talk to you uh, about mission, but I also want to say that again as it relates to repetition it's important that we hear it and that we hear it in different ways because if you have no ability to remember see we're going to be going back and remembering things and it's going to become part more part of our dna now in the golf swings and i'm sorry i use some examples of the golf swing because i know a lot about the golf swing is that i had a precious man that i've taught for years Is the first year i've never been able to teach him and uh and was a big developer, and, and he would always say, Cranford, he's 95 now, Cranford, I just got to get this down into my bones. <laughs> so it means I understand what you're telling me to do, but I don't have it in my bones. I don't own it yet, so we need to own it. And so there's a beauty in repetition. Now, the Dorderies are here with us, and their daughter is Lauren, and Lauren had, a- had asked me to read her paper her uh, thesis at NYU, which she's just submitting now for her higher education. She's really smart. So if you get a chance to talk to her, she's really smart. Uh, but I was reading that, and it was a fascinating example she gave. There was a, a gentleman by the name of Clive Waring. I don't know if you've ever heard of Clive Waring, but Clive Waring is indeed one of the most infamous case studies. I'm reading from Lauren's thesis. I, I didn't ask her, but you know, anyway. Uh, the most infamous case studies of this nature, his life serves as a necessarily spectacular voyage into the complexities of human memory, as well as something of a metaphor for the larger qualms of maximizing its power. Now, what does this mean? Clive Waring was a wildly talented musician and composer who had fallen near deathly ill of a viral infection in his brain. Miraculously and tragically, Clive survived the complications of encephalitis at an enormous cost to the shape of every detail of the world he had once known. Badley clarifies this brilliantly. Whenever his wife appears, Clive greets her with the joy appropriate to someone who has not seen a loved one for many months. She only has to leave the room for two or three minutes and return for the joy to be repeated a process that is always full of emotion and always expressed in the same way. Why? He has no ability to have, he has no memory. Those were, those were negated through his encephalitis. Clive lives in a permanent present. Now think about this. Unable to register change or use the past to anticipate the future, a situation he once described as hell on earth. It's like being dead all the bloody time. Clive said. Clive has been in this state since 1985 and he is still convinced that he has just woken up. I'm going to press on down into her paper. The past can possess a mosaic of meanings because the notion of a past can be necessarily organized in differential structures of time, informing each present moment with the immediate processing of the mutual passing. Now, it goes on to say the suffering hinged on his inability to appreciate any kind of history. He just couldn't, he didn't have a memory. Two minutes go by and he can't recall anything. Oh, I'm married to you. You're beautiful. We're married. That's awesome. And then three minutes later, how are you? You're beautiful. We're married. Oh, that's so fantastic. I mean, can you can see the living nightmare that this would be. I think functionally, we as the church, sometimes in an effort to try to get what our felt needs in the church, sometimes we forget to live the history that is here that gives us guidance into the future to understand what would Jesus have us to be doing in 2019 in the Coachella Valley? What would he he want us to do? Well, we've gotta have a collective memory. And it was played out in in the nation of Israel and it was played out in Jesus' walk and he got baptized and all the things to fulfill all righteousness. And we walk into this repetitious cycle that keeps repeating. But if we don't understand the past, we get caught and we find ourselves in a spiritual situation that Clive found himself in. And every moment is like, well, I wonder if it's going to be exciting at church this week, not really knowing that you see your life as a progression If you're just someone who comes to just consume, if you're a Christian consumer, you got to be on a journey. You need to be in an intimate relationship. You need to be able to sit down with somebody at some point in your life and say, here's what the Lord is doing in my life, and here's where I sense that He's taking me. If you don't have that, you'll never get... Mission just won't make sense to you. It'll feel like an ought to instead of an integral part of your future because the church has been given a mandate, as we'll see later in Matthew 28, called the Great Commission. So many think of the gospel <clears throat> as just a New Testament adaptation, right? So when we get to the New Testament, you have this Old Old Testament stuff. So when we read Psalm 96, you say, well, you can't read the gospel into that. Not Jesus. Of course you can because it was always an unfolding of and all the prophets were looking forward to the time that there would be a nation which would be a light to the nations and i'm going to argue that that nation is no longer just the jewish nation and it's also no longer just the old nation Uh, which is all the Gentiles, and now God's done with the Jews, but it's what we see in Ephesians that it says it's a one new man. It's a new nation made up and comprised of Jews and the goyim and the nations, and together and collectively we can voice this around the earth, and it's a powerful thing that's happening in your very day. It was always the plan, the gospel, always. We've talked about that at various points in here. It was always to be given to a nation, who could then take it to the nation so that they could participate in it. Can I say that again? Why are we on mission? So they can have what we have. Not so we can just convince them that we're right. I want them to have what we have. I want to see their families restored. I want to see a family be able to go what we've been through in the last six, seven, eight months for my health, Laura's health, and all the other things that have been thrown at us And still come out and love one another and be together and right here in church together. That's extraordinary. You need Christ. That is an amazing benefit of the kingdom. We're still together. I hear about that all the time. Something tragic happens in a family and it splits them. Something happens financially or physically or something and they all all split. We grow closer together in the kingdom. Now, do I want to export that? Of course I do. That's why I'm here. It was always to center on the Lord's majesty, as we talked about, and it was always to have a powerful effect on not just the nations, but in fact, all the creation. Romans 8 said, even the creation is groaning, longing for the revelation of this new nation. And I, I paraphrase there, but this new nation. So let's go back in this last 10 minutes, and we're just going to unpack a little, and then we'll get more into this later. Let's go back and just break this extraordinary psalm down into its component parts. So salvation will come to the earth, and it will come forth from the Jews. Is that consistent with Jesus and what he said? Yes, it is. John chapter 4, verse 20. Now, many of you will remember this as this encounter with the woman at the well in Samaria. She was a non-Jew. They were a mixed race. Assyrians had come in in 722, uh, wiped out the northern ten tribes, and then they had assimilated and brought in. It was a mixed race, and they were despised. That's why when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, it was such a, what? What is he talking about? So whatever, you know, like we've talked about before, that's just, it's, hard to, it's hard to stomach that. So he says this in verse 20. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, she said, and you people... You Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. Now catch this. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus' words. But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Woman, (laughs) I know you're worshiping. We have many, maybe even in this valley, that are kind of clinging and desperately trying to worship something. They sense that this is not an accident. But they worship in ignorance. Jeff, you shouldn't say that. I mean, that's offensive. No, this is Jesus' words. You worship what you don't even know. We worship what we know. And we want to tell you about this, what we know. But salvation comes at the beginning from the Jews. What, What does that mean, salvation comes from the Jews? Well, they were given the prophets and the law, which only spoke of Jesus. Everything, everything prophetically, all the early church, they were all Jews. You may have some old resentment against Jewish people in here, some little ancient crack down in your soul of anti-Semitism. Can I just say, get rid of it. They've paid a heavy price to be able to mediate the covenant that we now love, this new covenant. They mediated mediated both. They were always called to be a light to the nations. And in Psalm 96, they're being called to tell the whole earth to ascribe greatness to the God and walk away from your idols. Walk away from your nothingness. Salvation comes from the Jews. And number two, and then we'll close with this. This proclamation was to start with the Jews, but eventually be adopted around the whole earth. It was always the plan. I mean, this is, I gotta tell you, I, I repeat this, some of them from me teaches a lot, and I but I think about, I virtually think about it every day. I really do. I know that sounds crazy. But it just, I have so many times in the day where I, I get assaulted in my mind and I, I want to go down and I just go, no, it's just such a perfect plan. I know the plan so well. I've been teaching it for years. It's such an incredible plan. It never loses weightiness in my own mind. It never does. Realizing that it was always the plan, forming a new nation comprised of Jews and Gentiles who love the message so that they would what? not be able to keep it to themselves. Now, in Matthew 21, this is a tough passage of Scripture and because it's been used so wrongly. Now, some of you have a Reformed background and for that, and Luther did some amazing things, but Martin Luther also made some tragic missteps. When the Jews did not embrace his gospel, he looked to the Word and said, see, God's done with the Jews. Now, many of you know a big part of this church, Church the Red Door, is we're very closely associated with the believing Jewish community, those Jews who follow Jesus as their Messiah. And that's where I'll be in Dallas in another week uh, on this, at these seminary boards. It's this, this explosion of, of Jewish people falling in love with Jesus. So God's not done with the Jews. Can we just settle that? He hasn't taken it away from them. But in Matthew 21, verse 42 and 43, listen, Jesus said to them, that is who? Well, it's the Jews, but more specifically, it's the Jewish leaders that were denying him. Let's get context here. Not all the Jews denied him. He was traveling around with a motley crew of 12 guys. And then some women were going with him, Mary Magdalene and all. There were plenty of Jews that were believing into him, and then there were also a select group of Jewish leaders who did not believe him. He said to them, did you never read in the Scriptures that the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone? He's talking about Isaiah. He's quoting Isaiah. Isaiah was looking into the future and seeing a chief cornerstone of this new building And and yet, they were rejecting the very chief cornerstone. Elsewhere, it says that they're going to stumble over it. Isaiah was already seeing what was going to happen. The very leadership in the Jewish community was the Messiah was going to come, and they were going to reject him. He said, this came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, Jesus, speaking again, he says, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken taken away from you, and given to a people, an ethnos in the Greek, which just means a multitude of individuals of the same nature, producing the fruit of it. So historically, if you know anything about church history, there were some real divisive places and see God's taking the message away from the Jews and giving it to, wait a minute, Jesus is Jewish, Matthew, Mark, maybe Luke probably. John, all the disciples, all the early... Well, the early church was all Jew. He took it away. No, he didn't take it away from the Jews. He took it away from the leadership of the Jews, and he's going to give it to a new ethnos, a new people that share the same nature, and this same nature, and we'll close with this, Ephesians chapter 2. If you can get this in your mind... What I want to do is I want to show you that this is not just an ought to. This is the eternal plan of your loving Father from the foundations of the earth. Once the fall happened, of course, the Bible says that Jesus was slain before the foundations of the earth. So this was the plan even before the fall. Hard to to grasp that. Ephesians 2.11, and we're done. You say, yeah, right. I have a lot of preaching to catch up on. I was like, I don't know, I'm I'm out of practice. I don't know if I'm going to remember how to do this. Somebody said, well, maybe you will be able to remember. So, Ephesians 2, verse 11. Now, he's speaking now to these Gentiles, these goyim. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, the non Jews, that's all that means, in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision. So, there's religious Jews out there that are calling you the uncircumcised, they're the unclean, unholy. Don't worry about that. He says, you were, you're called that, but by the so-called circumcision, in other words, the leadership of the Jews who have rejected Jesus as the Messiah, the so-called circumcision are rejecting you. I know that. But he says, it, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. But remember, you Gentiles, that you were at that time separate from Christ. You didn't know anything about this message, nothing. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. See, folks, this this is where we find ourselves, in the Coachella Valley. Anywhere in the world you'll find it, but in this valley, we have people with no hope, zero. And if they decide they want to commit suicide and they have zero hope, then I guess the new way to commit suicide is to take out some people with you. It's kind of become the new in-vogue in trend. God save us. Help us be missional people to tell them that they have a hope. But now in Christ, Jesus, you who were formerly far off, you Gentiles that never heard anything about this, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's the cross. That's why we are church at the red door not church at the green grass door, or church at the. We are church at the red door. We are brought near by the blood of the cross. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into, I would say, one, which is this new nation. I'm gonna, it's going to be taken away and given to a nation, an ethnos, a people with the same nature, producing the fruit of it. That's what Jesus said. Here is the one group, it's Jew and Gentile, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. So he said, the law used to keep Jews from having anything to do with the Gentiles. Stay far away from them. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments, they were supposed to stay away from you. Now I'm calling him to become one with you. Is this a new plan? Ah, it's a new covenant, totally new plan. Nobody saw that coming. Psalm 96 saw it. It was already telling him to preach it to the whole earth. Just a matter of timing. And the Bible says at the proper time, God sent forth his son. God sees the proper time. He determines the proper time, not me. And then lastly, verse 16 so that he might reconcile them both, as Jew and Gentile, in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. Now he's going to quote Psalm 57 and he came, excuse me, Isaiah 57 and he came and preached peace to you who were far away, had no clue what was going on. We have people in this valley that are far away from this message. And peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers, you Gentiles. You're not aliens. You're fellow citizens and saints and of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So when you go back to say, Jesus, don't didn't you read in the prophets that you guys were, were going to trip over the... You were going to reject the cornerstone? And now he's saying he's the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. He says, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And then finally, the last few verses of chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... If indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me. Now, what does that mean? He said, I was put on mission. And the last piece, people, I want to be hanging around with you Gentiles because I was a good Jew. I was caught. In fact, I was killing people that were trying to partner up with you. But as I matured, God sent me on mission and he gave me a stewardship of grace so that I might reach you with this incredible message. He said that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery. Now, this is the mystery. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Now, what's this great mystery? Which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. To be specific. Are you ready? Here's the mystery. Here it is. You ready? Here's the mystery. Nobody saw it. To be specific that the gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Jesus through the gospel now let me just tell you that was mysterious paul was considered a heretic by his jewish friends and his leadership he studied under gamaliel he 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 knew these guys well he grew up with them he was one of them and then all of a sudden god well blinded him and then gave him his sight back, but gave him not only his physical sight back, but gave him his spiritual sight and sent him on a mission. Now, do you want to be on a mission to this valley? And elsewhere, our people, strange church we have here, a lot of them come in, we lose about 75% of them, and they just go in May or April or early June or whatever, and they go back, but they can still spread the message. So again, this is the foundation for what we're going to look at which is simply this. There is a, remember this and think about this, okay? There's a certain level by which your spiritual maturation cannot go to the next level until you become part of the promoter or proclaimer of the gospel. That's why we exist. Does that make sense? It's good to be back with you. It was hard to be away. It was hard to be away. Uh, but this has been, This we, we are going to be incredibly healthy. We are not knocked off of our horse on this mission. We are more committed to the mission of Church at the Red Door than we have ever been, both as a family, as a team of elders, as an executive team, as a trustees and everything else. We are more committed to this mission than we ever have been. And God willing, we'll have some good years in front of us, and we will see people come to a knowledge of Jesus and be forever transformed. And so now I'm going to turn it over to our beloved Pastor Paul. And Pastor Paul, as for some of you know, we are beginning the process by which we are doing communion after service here rather than having to go upstairs now some of you and as paul will talk about may not quite feel there we've got music coming up we got all kinds of stuff going on and uh if they had a crook and a stick they would pull me off the stage now so i am out of here so